Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Deep Dive, January 9th, RJ. It's just 2023 is disappearing already. We're already nine days in. It's, it's crazy how this works. I know, only, uh, what, 356 days left in the year of the Kraken. Oh my gosh, I know, it's going to be such a year. Obviously, Kraken have been killing it so far since the calendar has turned over to 2023. Undefeated, just can't help but score five goals at a time. Uh, it's it's all good stuff. Uh, we're going to be talking about lots of stuff, talking about why is it that the Kraken win so much on the road. Um, the the goaltending stuff, sticking with Martin Jones again tonight. He's been playing out of his mind lately. The team's been looking really good in front of him. We're going to talk all about the goaltending situation with the Kraken. The latest Kraken All-Star. We've got another All-Star. And how do we get more Kraken into this All-Star game? Got, definitely got to talk about that one as well. And then just like lots and lots of Shane Wright news to cover. Lots of, lots of movement there for Shane Wright in this last week or so. But we got to start, RJ, with rain, something a lot of people in Seattle are familiar with, because right now down here in Southern California, I'm experiencing rain. However, it's supposed to stop raining on Thursday. What, 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 what's going to happen on Thursday? I'm going to trade in the rain down here for some rain up there as I come up to Seattle to get ready for our two events over at Queen Anne Beer Hall, the lovely sponsor of this podcast and so much that we do here at Emerald City Hockey. And uh, that's going to kick us all off on Saturday with that live watch along for that Kraken Chicago Blackhawks game, followed by the post game live that we're doing from Queen Anne Beer Hall. Really, really looking forward to that one. And then, of course, the post game live after that home game against the Lightning on Monday. Oh, I just can't wait to get up there, RJ. I know it's going to be so fun having you up here. It's going to be just a, a great weekend of a, a long weekend of sports and everything at Queen Anne Beer Hall. Uh, you know, on Saturday, uh, we've got our uh, watch party and post game live. Yep. And before that, too, you've got a Seahawks playoff yes. game. How about that? Congrats, the Seattle Seahawks on making the playoffs. They'll play uh, the San Francisco 49ers basically right before yeah. uh, our watch party and everything. So it's just going to roll, I think, one right into the other. Uh, so, I mean, hey, come early, catch the Seahawks game, too. You yeah. never spend too much time at Queen Anne Beer Hall on a game day. No, it's it's going to be quite a quite a day. I'm really looking forward to it. What a what a first day to be back in Seattle. Just just be just <laughs> pelted with sports like the rain. Uh, how many times did you have I it any different? Rain? I had a quota of how many times I had to say the word rain on the podcast. And that was, that was it. That last one was it. So now we're good. Um, all right. So really looking forward to those events again, Saturday, uh, uh, I was going to say September for some reason, Saturday, January 16th. No, no, that's the no, Monday 14th. 14th Chicago. That game starts at five. The Kraken game starts at five Pacific time. Uh, watch watch along, followed by the post-game live from, from Queen Anne Beer Hall. And then Monday, that's a 1 o'clock game, RJ, at home against the Lightning. So post-game, don't have a definitive time for when that'll happen. It'll be whenever RJ and I can scramble over to the Queen Anne Beer Hall from CPA after the end of the game. So really looking forward to it. Hope to see lots and lots of friendly faces uh, and ECH community members there, and I'm sure we will. All right. Shane Wright, RJ. 
Where do we even begin? I guess we should probably begin uh, with with uh, the start of things from this last week for him, and that being that Shane Wright and Team Canada won gold at the, the latest edi- edition rendition of the World Junior Championship <laughs> tournament. Uh, Shane Wright picking up a, a goal and an assist in that game, and and just you know playing his mind out that the whole. Uh, tournament really as far as being the two-way center that Canada needed to rely on to shut down opposing teams top groups and being that kind of you know steady presence down the middle for them that that um, could just chew up the big minutes and and then lead them obviously being captain of the winning team I mean that's not nothing it's of itself either exactly and it wasn't the flashiest role that he was given in the world juniors you know having to be that kind of defensive center who soaks up the big important minutes uh you know and plays a little bit more conservatively and of course you know being the captain leading the team you know with that but uh he showed up in in a flashy way when it mattered the most too i think a lot of people were commenting about how he was having a quiet tournament maybe not seeing you know the the total of the 200 foot game all the little things that shane wright was doing uh but you couldn't ignore that goal to go up to nothing in the gold medal game uh walking in past three or four check defenders and sending a, a backhand shot uh top shelf over the Czech goalie uh, to give Canadians a two nothing lead. It, you, just, you can't ignore that goal. That was a beautiful goal. Um, and then, of course, with Canada winning that game in overtime, Shane Wright, the captain, gets to be the guy who lifts the cup up uh, mm-hmm. and, and celebrates with everybody. Yeah, I, it was it was also weird how like yeah everybody's like oh he's he's not putting up like buckets of points. I'm like the coaching staff at the beginning of the tournament said this is what they want him doing. Like they were like. Like you're going to focus because originally they had Connor Bedard with him. And the whole idea was they were going to let Bedard go and Shane Wright would would help out on defense and and cover basically not just his own responsibilities, but also Bedard's defensive responsibilities (laughs) so that Bedard could only focus on offense. Like that was literally the plan going in. And then everybody seemed to forget that when when Shane Wright, you know, just didn't have like a thousand points or something. I don't know. He still had a very respectable goal and point total, in my opinion. And then um, the other aspect of that day, not only did he get that flashy goal, not only do they win gold medal, it was also his 19th birthday. So nice little birthday present to Shane Wright there winning, winning gold for Team Canada. Oh, for sure. I mean, can, can you imagine like having a birthday and all that going on? <laughs> uh, it's going to be hard to top just over over his whole life, I would think. Sorry, Shane Wright, you peaked at 19. <laughs> Birthday-wise, anyway, <laughs> peaked at 19. Um, all right, so we also knew there had been rumblings towards the end of that tournament. We knew Ron Francis was up there. He was taking meetings with Shane Wright's, um, you know, kind of group and and his people, uh, taking meetings with, you know, Kingston, all sorts of all sorts of people involved in the decision on whether or not they were going to be sending Shane Wright back to the OHL or not. Seattle, Ron Francis made the decision to go ahead and do so. I think it makes sense. The team, they have too many forwards with the Kraken anyway. There wasn't going to be a lot of room for Shane Wright, and it doesn't serve his development best to have him just kind of hanging around as a scratch or, or doing anything like that. You've already you've already done that. He's gotten some a taste of the <laughs> NHL, and he's gotten used to the lifestyle. He's settled into Seattle. He understands how to live on his own. He, he understands how to do all of those things. And so he doesn't have to worry about that next year. He can just focus on hockey, similar to what Maddie has been doing this season. So I, I understand the decision to send him back to juniors. Um, but now we get we get the big question of, 
where is he going in the OHL? Because obviously they're sending him back to Kingston, but Kingston will be trading him before tomorrow's deadline in the OHL, the trade deadline there. And it sounds like Shane Wright gets to pick his destination. Like all the teams interested have submitted offers to Kingston. And what I'm seeing is that Shane Wright is the person driving this and will be the, the one to determine where uh, he's going to go play and, and try to chase a Memorial Cup. And I'm glad that's the case because mm -hmm. for so much of this season, Shane Wright has had very little say yes. kind of in, in where he goes, what kind of ice time he gets, when, you know, when he's playing, when he's not. I, I remember that healthy scratch conundrum and we talked about, I think you, it was you who said on the podcast, like, you know, the, the, the worst position in all this is Shane Wright, who like basically through no fault of his own, he, he, he doesn't get to control any of this. Yeah. So for him to kind of get, has some control over his destination uh, in the OHL, I think that's going to be huge. I do too. I think it's going to be very big for him. Um, and so what we've been seeing is that there's been lots of teams interested, but it sounds like based on rumors and stuff, uh, mostly coming from uh, Jeff Merrick, that the London Knights, RJ, that, that, that kind of evil, they're like the evil empire Yankees type team almost to the OHL, or at least they have been the last, you know, 15 years or so. Uh, it sounds like that could be, where Shane Wright is leaning, wanting to go at this point. And it's kind of funny because all along it was like, oh, there's all these teams that have made very impressive offers to Kingston. And, oh, it sounds like London might have made one too. And then it was like, oh, it's kind of been whittled down a little bit and London's still hanging around, but these other teams are really there. And then it was like, all of a sudden it's like, no, it's probably going to be London. And it's just, just what a London Knights way. What a what a Mark and um, uh, Dale Hunter way of doing things, RJ. Just kind of sneak in 11th hour, make your pitch to the guy himself, and then uh, probably end up with the player. Yeah, I mean, if you can pull it off, that that's the way to do it. And um, I mean, it would be a really smart move for them, obviously, adding, adding Shea Wright for anybody, you know, that's it's in contention for Memorial Cup. Uh, but the London Knights are right up there in the running. And, uh, you know, if, if Shane Wright feels like that's, uh, you know, where, where the fit is, then, you know, like you said, he had gets to the side and it would also be exciting because it would pair him up with another Kraken prospect who the Knights just traded for. That is right. The the London Knights just traded for Ryan Winterton, uh, who has been out all, all season up until very recently here. He's gotten three games in for, for with London um, with uh, after a shoulder surgery. Uh, but Ryan Winterton is going to be there. Obviously, Ryan Winterton, a big part of the Hamilton Bulldogs run Memorial Cup run last season alongside Mason McTavish. Um, and then he's, you know, came back this year, obviously very excited about him in the Kraken organization and what he can do. Uh, excited to see him now finally playing hockey games. He's been the ongoing joke of the, uh, those Kraken prospect live chats I've been doing over on Patreon is when is he coming back? And it's just, we didn't know. Well, he's back now and, uh, already two points through three games with them as he's getting back up to speed. I think having, uh, you know, Shane Wright, Ryan Winterton, one, two center pairing, within London could be a big, big deal for them as, as just as it was for Hamilton last year. Yeah. Having that kind of one, two punch is huge. Uh, you know, with Hamilton and Mason McTavish last year. Um, and speaking of Mason McTavish, I was looking and I was trying to see when the last time uh, it was that a player played for three different, you know, in three different leagues, basically it is D plus one season, you know, AHL, NHL and OHL. And uh, it was Mason McTavish. <laughs> Not surprising. Uh, not surprising. Interesting stuff there. Uh, but yeah, I look at I look at this London team. We're just gonna kind of work for this. Like I won't go through all the teams that he could potentially go to because 
it's a long, long list. Uh, but it really sounds like all the rumors have been sw swirling around London. And like I said, London, they always find a way of making things like this happen. So I, I, I think there could be, you know, some fire where there's smoke here. Uh, London, London Knights so far this season, 26-9-1 in the OHL. Uh, they're looking at, you know, studly that down there they're they're in great shape for this one um 140 goals for only 104 against I, I mean this team is just it's just totally solid and uh but Shane Wright would obviously be a big improvement to them and Shane Wright brings such an interesting you know set of skills to an OHL team potentially because you know the last time we saw him in the OHL playing for Kingston in his draft year his whole focus was I'm, yeah, I'll score or whatever, but I'm really I'm want to focus on playing defense and improving my defensive game. And he did that, and he was, you know, one of the greatest like OHL defensive centers that we've seen in a really really long time. Obviously, people then became concerned about his offensive output and what potential that had, and I think that that impacted um, him come draft day. But unlike a Mason McTavish joining Hamilton you know, last year kind of situation. This could be a little bit of a, of a different thing for the London Knights if they get in Shane Wright, because all of a sudden he might become just your defensive shutdown center, kind of like what he was for Team Canada. And then maybe that opens things up for Ryan Winterton to be kind of the the more showman type, you know, offensive uh, star. Yeah, I think he's certainly capable of playing that role. He showed over and over again that he can. Um but I have a question for you, though. Do you think that that is what's best for him? I don't know. I'd like to see him gain more confidence on the offensive side of things. I feel like that's so much of what the Kraken have worked on with him was improve. You know, whether it was working on his shot to to you know get more elevation and and a little bit more kick on it. Um, I I don't know. I just feel like that's what he what they had him focusing on with Coachella when he was with them, just scoring goals. And then he went out and he scored goals. And then he comes back to the Kraken. And what does he do? He scores goal, right? Like he gets that first NHL goal. So I I would like him to just kind of be unleashed. And and I would hope that the messaging and I got to imagine that it probably is from the Kraken is go down there, have fun, just kind of destroy these other kids, and then come come back next year and you're going to be a star for the Seattle Kraken. You know what I mean? That yeah, no, that's exactly what I was thinking. And actually, have fun were the words that I was going to use as far as maybe what the messaging should be. Because you've already bounced around so much this season playing uh, and playing against men, too, for most of it, mm -hmm. uh, which can be a whole other challenge. You've worked on the defensive side of your game. You've, you've been, um, you know, playing pretty conservatively in those in those levels in the NHL and the AHL. Just go out there, have some fun and, and get hungry for next year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I and I think uh, I think he's he's capable of doing that. I really I think so. Oh yeah, uh, he's a he's a pretty good player. So um, I do think also that he's going to be in excellent hands if he does go to London. Um, both both Mark and Dale Hunter they they run that team and they are they are fantastic at churning out NHL players here in these last this last decade or so. I mean the the list is pretty pretty like endless as I'm looking at this massive thing, but it all it all seems like to have started off with with John Tavares back in the day. That kind of started off this new era of the London Knights in my opinion. Uh but before that you had names like Corey Perry, but you've got, you know, Mitch Marner, Bo Horvat, Nazem Kadri, Patrick Kane. I mean, like the, the list, I, I'm serious. You could go up and look it up online, everybody. He is going to be in very, very good hands if indeed he does go to the London Knights. I think they'll they'll be able to help him out and they'll they'll use him in the right ways and help prepare him for the NHL. Um, although most, who, who do you think, in my opinion, RJ, 
is the biggest London Knight alumni uh, to go on and play in the NHL. Because there's a very special name on here for, for me on this, this very okay, long special list. name for you. Yeah, okay. it's a defenseman. Of course it is. One of, one of my favorite um, players of all time. Man, I just I think of that star-studded list of forwards. I, I tend not to think of defensemen with them. Um, yeah, because why would you think of guys like Jared Tenorti when you could be thinking of Matthew Kachuk, just to throw out another big-time name for, <laughs> for everybody here? Uh, I could go ahead and tell you. It's Dan yeah, Girardi. Go ahead and tell me. Dan oh, Girardi. Dan Girardi. Did not know he was a London Knight. Yes, was a London Knight uh, back back in the day for 31 games, kind of like a, a trade his last season in the OHL over the London Knights to help help push them towards uh, that 05 Memorial Cup run that they had with Corey Perry and everything. against. Uh, I think that was the year against Crosby and Ramuski, that big, big-time <laughs> uh, Memorial Cup way back then. But yeah, Dan Girardi, best jawline in NHL history. Just got to... Anytime I can mention him, I have to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Dylan, a big Dan Girardi. But he was Adam Larson before Adam Larson. For those of you, you know, listeners of the podcast, that is how Dylan felt about Dan Girardi. Absolutely. I'm a big fan of those those style guys for sure. Uh, so we, we started off talking about Shane Wright with the whole him winning gold. And not only does Shane Wright being a member of the Kraken organization winning gold, you know, mean something to to the Kraken as a whole. But there was another aspect of Canada winning that that kind of played out for the Seattle Kraken this year RJ and uh, and I don't just mean Connor Bedard you know kind of blowing past Jordan Eberle there on all those team Canada <laughs> records that's right and the world juniors uh, they they always have a ripple effect all throughout the hockey world uh whenever you get the result there and that ripple effect certainly affected the kraken uh in practice a couple days after the world juniors ended because it turns out there was a little friendly wager between Canadian World Junior legend Jordan Everly and uh, noted American Matty Beneers. Mm -hmm. And uh, there, there was a bet about who would win in the World Juniors. Of course, Canada and the United States played against each other. And uh, Canada came out on top. And as a result, Matty Beneers had to wear a Team Canada jersey for practice. And as, as odd as it looked, I've got to say, he, he wore it well. Well, I mean, Maddie could wear anything well. I mean, we we've all learned this by now, right? Like he he just looks like a model more than any of them as they come in, uh, <laughs> pregame, and and the crack and PR team tweets us out some pictures and stuff. Like he's just got that 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 look. It's that nice nice mix of of kind of the rugged with his ability to always have the five o'clock shadow and that that kind of strong face but also like the kind eyes it all just works and it all plays rj it just it just does that being said it it looked wrong he should never be wearing a team canada jersey that should be the first and last time he ever throws one of those things on Yes, definitely. I mean, maybe he should go with the strategy uh, that Everly uh, had talked about if he were to lose the bet. So Jordan Everly was saying, yeah, if I lost the bet, I would try and bribe him so I didn't have to wear the USA jersey. Uh, but of course, you know, I, I, Maddie being the, well, I guess for that day, good Canadian boy, but good American boy stood by the wager. He didn't try and bribe his way out of it. He wore the jersey. Um, and I, I thought it was interesting, too, because I looked at the jersey. It just was like it had the number nameplate. Like and the old, you know, Canada, yeah. uh, early, uh, you know, like 90, late nineties logo. I'm like, where did he get this from? And the hockey hall of fame actually answered that question. 
Um, so that jersey, he wore a 1996 Canadian World Juniors jersey, previously unworn, <laughs> lent from our staff at the archives located in the same building because uh, they happened to be in Toronto that day. Yep. So uh, and then, of course, Maddie being, you know, the good kid that he is donates his stick to the Hockey Hall of Fame upon returning the jersey uh, just to be added with it. So that's pretty cool. Yep, absolutely. Uh, good, good stuff from Maddie there. That's that's why we love him so much. And uh, he, you know, the league obviously loves him too, RJ, because Maddie was announced when they did the first wave of of who's going to be an All Star this season. Maddie Beniers representing the Kraken down there in Sunrise, Florida, this year as an All Star, as he should, as he you know is top three in basically everything for rookies so far this season, and really top three offensively for just about everything the Kraken have been doing as well. I think Maddie Beniers being the Kraken's, you know, first and potentially only all-star this season makes a lot of sense. And I'm really, really excited for people league-wide to get a, get a peek at, at all these great things that we've just been talking about, about his personality, his character, all that stuff. They're going to, that's going to be on display this year at the all-star game. And we've been eager for the league to see this, right? Uh, We know how special Maddie Beniers is. We've known this for a little while now. Um, But I I think, you know, especially when you're on the West Coast, it can be difficult for the whole league to take notice, you know, unless you're going and tearing up a Canadian road trip like he is right now. Yeah. But the All-Star Game is another big way to do that. Uh, And I think it's going to be great for Maddie Beniers. We talked about this, uh, you know, a few weeks ago when we were discussing, oh, well, who might the Kraken's All-Star be and who would we pick? And I think we both agreed Maddie Beniers, uh, you know, would be our choice for the reasons that you just mentioned. And I'm I'm glad to see him actually get the nod. Uh, You never know when it's a rookie because it is kind of rare for a rookie to go to the All-Star Game. Uh, But I think, you know, the the selection people at the NHL uh, understood what we understand. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to be interesting because, you know, a lot of times for 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 fans and for certainly everything, the the people, the TV people, the TV media people, you know, the skills competition, you and I've talked about how much we love that we think that that's just like the best part about this whole thing. But there's a lot that people don't know goes on behind the scenes at the All-Star Games, such as the fact that they're basically in interviews for like a day straight going into the All-Star yep. Skills Competition. It is just interview after interview after interview after interview as all these, as all the beat reporters and, and all these people from all the different, um, maybe even the local television crews from around the league, they all get in there and all the national chains they all get in there and they get to talk to these guys during that weekend. And um, I, I think that's where Maddie is going to really shine, right? Like he, yes, he's a super skilled player. Yes. He's got a fun side. I don't know that we're going to see like a, a Zegris level display from him when it comes to like the skills competition or something on TV. Uh, but we know from being around Maddie uh, and, and really anybody who's ever been to like a crack and open practice and stuff, we know with Maddie, it's, it's those little things that you just notice from being around the room or from talking to him. And I think that those media days at the all-star game is going to be where he really picks up a lot of potential support there for the Calder as, as people get to talk and, and really kind of see who he is as a person, as well as a hockey player. Uh, I'm really, really looking forward to that. But RJ, it's great that Maddie's going for all those reasons we've already talked about. I am excited to see what he could potentially pull out in like a skills shootout or something. I, mm-hmm. I bet he can come up with something. He seems like a, a good creative guy. I don't want him to be the only member of the Seattle Kraken at the All-Star Game, RJ. 
No, so Sir, no, definitely not. He needs a buddy. He needs a teammate to go with. Can't send the rookie out there all alone. Well, especially, and you talked about, you know, he didn't try to like kind of bribe his way out of the Team Canada thing. It's because he's on an ELC. He has no, he has no leverage to work with. So not only does he <laughs> does he need a friend there, but I want I want the Pacific Division to to win the win the money, right? Matty Benier. That's true. Could, for for now, for the time being, he could use the money until he gets that uh, that next deal. Yeah, you know, the, it, it's a divisional format, and the division that that wins the the kind of All Star game three on three tournament games, they they get they get a decent chunk of change there. Uh, the All Stars. I I think Maddie Maddie deserves that. So uh, we we need some cracking to go and help him do that. RJ, uh, there's I believe three spots open for the Pacific Division that can all be voted on, and this is where the fan vote's going to come in. Um, I don't know if you still have up the uh, the, the details on that. So why don't you go ahead and give the details, and then we can talk about who we think should should be voted on, who who we should all kind of pool our support for. Right. So you can go onto the NHL website. You can do the All Star vote. Uh, and there's basically 12 player spots, three per division. So three for the Pacific division. That's the one that matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can vote for three players at a time and you can do it 10 times per 24 hours. So you're definitely able to vote early and vote often. Uh, yeah, you can definitely, you can stuff the ballot box. It's, yes. it's, it's very possible. All right. So, uh, we'll have, uh, I'll throw in a link and stuff to that down in the, uh, YouTube, uh, description on, um, on the YouTube version of this podcast. RJ, when it comes to who the Kraken should be sending to the all-star game, now we've talked about this a little bit, like there's only one goaltender so far announced for the divisional team. So there's probably going to be a second goaltender. You got to think, uh, so maybe a Martin Jones comes into play, but I still feel like the the one name that that both you and I and it seems like a decent portion of the Kraken you know fan base community has come around to is Jared McCann's got to go to this All Star game. Oh yeah, and someone who's uh, I think been a little underappreciated at at times, you know, uh, by you know in the national conversation, given that he is has basically been the Kraken's leading goal scorer forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and last year we were talking about this with Jordan Eberle going to the all-star game. And I think we both agreed that if it was just based on pure performance, Jared McCann would be the guy to go, uh, Jordan Eberle, you know, we, we've talked about how much, you know, we like him as, you know, as just a person in the room too. I mean, he's perfect for that. Uh, you know, he got to bring his daughter and everything. Perfect family event for that good first representative for the crack. It had no issue with it, but Jared McCann's season was truly impressive last year, and he's doing the same exact thing this year. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he deserves to go. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you look at what he's been able to do with the Kraken, 19 goals right now through 35 games, so almost at that kind of magic 20-goal number uh, very easily could get there before the All-Star game, before voting ends even. <laughs> uh, so I, I think that, that that speaks in and of itself for him. And, you know, again, the fact that he's doing that, of those 19 goals, only two on the power play. Like he's doing this five on five and and really helping out the team and, and getting things going that way and, and being a big part of what the Kraken have been able to do this season um, in kind of turning things around. So I, I do think Jared McCann uh, deserves that all-star nod for sure. Some other guys to, to be considered. I mean, Andre Burakovsky is having a fantastic season since joining the Kraken, leads the team in points. Jordan Eberle could go again. He's second on the team in points, 31 so far on the season for him as he's kind of that kind of quiet leader of the forward group there. Um, I could see, you know, Daniel Sprong. Let's be the team that said like a fourth line guy who was on on a tryout contract through training camp. Like what an amazing story that would be. 
Exactly. And and he's earned it. You look at points per 60 in the league and he's, you know, somewhere in that top five. Uh, it's incredible what he's done. He's got the numbers to back it up. It's not like Absolutely. Uh, we're talking about, oh, it's an incredible story from PTO to like he's consistently made the team and he's a regular. No, yes. he's one of the top scorers. Uh, he's got the numbers to justify it. And Dylan, you and I both know, both agree that what really matters about All-Star Weekend is the skills competition. Absolutely. And wouldn't you like to see Daniel Sprong's shot in the skills competition? Absolutely. Because no one, very, very few people can shoot the puck like he does. Oh, for sure. I mean, he could really show off his skills in a big, bad way there. Uh, and I just think it would be it would be such a such a fun time for everybody involved uh, if he was able to go. So that 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 could be someone worthy of it. And then, you know, defensively, RJ, I mean, the, the, the Pacific Division also needs a, some defensemen potentially. So where do you think we should go? I mean, Vince Dunn has, has picked things up lately. We could talk about him a little bit later uh, as we talk more about the Kraken. But, you know, Guy like him, Adam Larson, maybe just saying. I, I was gonna say I'm surprised he's not the first and only name that you mentioned. I was trying to make it a little less transparent, <laughs> throwing throwing <laughs> Vince Dunn out there biased. first. Yeah, come on, anyone listening to this still knows what's up. <laughs> they know that you would love Adam Larson to go to the All Star game. I mean, go ahead, make the case. I, well, look, Adam Larson plays three on three with the Kraken whenever they go to overtime games and they have to play three on three, just like this tournament. I think you don't you do need at the all star game some guys whose focus really is de is defensive, but who likes to have fun out there and likes to join offensive rushes and stuff. And, and he does do that when they're playing three on three, like somebody who has that kind of skill set to do those things, but can also kind of be just that that defensive presence just to remind everybody that, hey, it isn't all just about scoring, you know, goals as dodgeballs are being thrown at you and you're blindfolded. You know what I mean? Like there's there's another <laughs> aspect to this game that, uh, you know, come come playoff time really means something. Yep, definitely. And with 17 points, he can chip in offensively, too. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, he can munch big minutes in that all star game too. just put him out there the whole time. You know, he can handle it. Right. And really, it's just because I would love to see what elaborate um you know, scheme it would take just to try to basically trick him into going to the all-star game too. Cause I, I think that I, I don't know that he would be entirely on board with that given as we've seen uh, his levels of excitement for things such as, I don't know, like his seven game point streak. <laughs> yeah. Adam, I really don't care about points. Larson uh, going to this offensive showcase. Uh, I, I don't know that it's the best fit for him, yeah. uh, but deserving. I think so. Yeah, I was gonna. I, I wanted to bring this up. Do you think he ended his point streak on purpose out of spite, RJ? Because then he picked up a point one game after ending the point streak, just right back to it. You know what? You guys need to stop talking about this. I'm just not gonna pick up a point in this game. <laughs> if anybody, Shut all of you up. He's he's put himself in the situation where if anybody would do it and we would believe it, it would be him. So. Yep. <laughs> so funny. Uh... All right, so we have lots of good options out there. The the most important thing though is just to just to vote for Seattle Kraken to to get uh, some more guys into the All Star game because the bottom line is we have been a we've been a really good team this year, and we have been a story in the NHL. And we I think especially on this latest road trip for them, they are starting to kind of change the narrative away from the oh, look at what the Kraken are doing. Isn't that cute? And oh, I wonder if that's sustainable. And oh, yeah, see, December was a little shaky. I guess they're not for real. Like this would be a way of having multiple all-stars there to show off, you know, the, the skill set that they have, the personalities that we have on this team. 
all of that stuff. I think it would be a really, really um, good thing for Seattle, good thing for West Coast hockey, just to, again, remind everybody out there on the East Coast that, hey, we exist, and we've got some really dope things going on in the NHL world out here uh, in Seattle and on the West Coast. Yeah, definitely. And and we know a lot of that, too, is driven by the fans. This is why uh, the Kraken were given a Winter Classic so soon yep. in their existence. We talked about this last week. It's the fans and what they bring. Uh, and thankfully, this All-Star vote, this is this is up to the fans. Right. I guess that's another thing we should talk about is I have no idea what the All-Star jerseys will look like. Uh, they tend to be a hit or miss type thing <laughs> for the most part. Well, have like. you seen the rumors? Have you seen the mock-ups? I haven't seen the rumors, no. Uh, they they look pretty cool. They are, I, from what I hear, they're going to be like a, a reverse retro type homage that's going to have that. Um, let, let me let me take a look at this. So it's going to have uh, like pink, like that light blue and I'm some in. black. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, pink. You were in once once I said pink. So um, let's let's see. Uh, I was going to I'm going to try and show you a picture here. Oh, yeah. Um, do you see him? Oh yeah, look at that. It's it's like a poster here for the All-Star weekend with two jerseys on it. Yep. Oh man, yes. We need okay, we need a bunch of Kraken to go and wear these sick jerseys and then um we need to we need to buy them all. Yes, Maddie's going to look great in that, right? Maddie's going to look amazing in that. Like this is Like you see the Pacific this this is a mock-up someone made. Look at this. Pacific jersey. Yeah. That's gorgeous. Yeah. Sorry, no. the people just listening on the audio feed can't see this. <laughs> just go look. Go them look up. it up when you can. Uh, if, you know, if you're driving, listen to this. Maybe don't do it then, but uh, right. otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, you know, go ahead. You you have my permission if you're listening and at work to go ahead and take a second and Google this stuff and and take a look yeah. at it. Just tell your boss I said it was okay. Should should be fine. <laughs> um. Yeah. No. These are these are really sick. So now it's oh man. Oh. I already have a Maddie jersey, but like this would be if you don't have a Maddie jersey, this could be the time to get one. Just saying. Yeah. Just saying. Uh, all right. So now that wow, now I'm really I'm like thrown RJ. I'm so excited about those jerseys. Really good stuff. You know, one name we floated around that was Martin Jones, and to kind of segue into talking about the Kraken and what they've been doing here this last week or so, Martin Jones has really just not given up control of the crease right now at all. Um, you and I had kind of speculated. We thought, okay, they're riding the hot hand through uh, last calendar week. Maybe, maybe today against uh, Montreal, they would they would give him a, a little bit of a break so he could have a couple off days because they have you know they play both tonight against Montreal, tomorrow against Buffalo. But, you know, obviously Grubauer is going to have to come in for one of those games. You and I speculated maybe they would give him the extra two days rest before Buffalo. Not going to be the case. Martin Jones in the net tonight against Montreal's with the reports that we've seen. Um, and they're just, I mean, they're just going to, uh, Haxall's just going to ride the hot hand with Martin Jones for as long as he can, I guess. Yeah, and it seems like Dave Haxtell is committed to this. Uh, Martin Jones, I, it's his net right now. And until he loses, I think that's probably going to be the case. Uh, Dave Haxtell did mention last week that, uh, he called wins the most important stat for a goalie, uh, and, and he's he's impressed by the wins. So as long as those keep coming, uh, then then I think it's going to be Martin Jones's net. I think on this back-to-back uh, decision, I mean, Grubauer is going to have to play against Buffalo, I would imagine. If, if they start Martin Jones both halves of this, I would really start to question that strategy, <laughs> uh, just you know, workload-wise and being burnt out-wise. But yeah, I think Haxtell may have been looking also at, at the matchups as well. Both mm-hmm. goalies are historically good 
versus Montreal. Uh, Jones, I think, slightly better. But um, the career numbers versus Buffalo, Grubauer's got a 7-1-2 record, 9.53 save percentage. Very, very good. Yeah. Jones, 5-4-3, 8.96 save percentage. So uh, in yeah. the past, it seems like Haxtell may have looked at those career splits on some of those decisions. So I get it. But yeah, it, it has been Martin Jones's net. And um, you look at just the, the numbers from him, too. He's He's played... I think about 75% of the Kraken's games so far this season. That's on pace for 61 games, uh, which is right up there with the numbers from those shark seasons when he was, uh, you you could argue kind of in his prime. And they, I think they burnt him out. Uh, I'll just, I'll just flat out say it as someone who followed the sharks very closely in that time and watched a lot of Martin Jones hockey. He was very good during those years during the regular season, but by the end of the season and especially in the playoffs, he got burned out. Yeah, he did, and it would it'd be hard not to as you look at, at the, the amount of games he started those seasons, 65, 65, 60, 62. That's, that's, those are crazy workloads for, <laughs> to put on a goalie, much less season after season after season like that. After season, I guess I should say. And, and, <laughs> and you can look, and, and the numbers tell the story, right, as that goals against average just starts to get higher and higher and higher as it goes. Because that's that's just so much wear and tear, so much fatigue has to set in uh, on a goaltender for doing something like that. And so, you know, I understand that part of that is skewed because of the Grubauer injury from earlier this season uh, with him this year. But I am worried about the idea of we saw this when Grubauer was healthy, you know, and, and Jones was kind of doing some starts. They were trying to figure things out. Martin Jones, he had already looked burned out for the Kraken for a little while this season. Uh, after having to play almost about a month straight with with Grubauer out due to injury. So I was going to talk about and ask the question of, you know, are they going to burn out Martin Jones? If if things continue this way, certainly if they're going to like, if they, let's say, win tonight, then they're like, let's bring back Martin Jones tomorrow. (laughs) Uh, I would be like, yes, you're going to burn him out. It's impossible not to. But I mean, I don't know. When does it when does it change from just riding the hot hand, RJ, to to going with the guy that, you know, He's, he's, he's getting you the wins. Maybe there's a difference in how the team plays in front of them. I know you've got some numbers about that we yep. can talk about. And and when does it go from just playing the hot hand to just kind of finally admitting, no, we have, you know, he's the 1A, so to speak? I think, you know, at a certain point, you, you've got to have that conversation if the results continue. And you look 60, at Dave Hacks. Yeah, because yeah, 61 games is not riding the hot hand. That is very definitively, it. the crease belongs to this man. Yeah, and that's just not 1A territory. That's starter and backup territory if yeah. that continues. Because um, you you look at Jones in those seasons with the Sharks. He was the starter. There was a clear backup. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what 60 starts means. Um, and yeah, I, I think the conversation, you know, might start to shift as we get closer to the end of the season. But it, it's interesting because Dave Haxtell mentioned with this stretch of, I think it was like 15 games and, you know, 24 days, however long it was, this long road stretch where they're playing every other day. Plus, he said, we're going to need both goalies. And so far, you know, they haven't used both goalies. But um, I, I think it, we're, we're almost there because there's so many of these starts that you, you easily could get Philip Grubauer into uh, that you're not. And there are a number of reasons for that, it, it, you know, primarily because Jones is getting the wins. Um, but I think we should revisit this question of does the team play differently in front of Jones versus in front of Grubauer. And the, the numbers are, are pretty stark to be honest. And um, 
one, there's the whole defensive side of things where uh, we've talked about the team just kind of being more focused defensively mm-hmm. in front of Jones. And and we we did call that a coincidence last week. And so did Dave Haxtell, actually, when asked about it. And I, I do still think that is kind of a coincidence yeah. that just Jones has happened to be a net when the team is playing focused, they're playing the right way. Um, and we talked about the defensive side of that last week, but I think we should also address the offensive side of it and just the goal support. And this is the stat I want to talk about. And, and goal support basically means how many goals uh, that a team scores when a certain goalie is in net. So um, looking at goal support across the league, Martin Jones, and I'm going to do this per 60. So per 60 minutes of play gets 3.99 goals of goal support per 60 minutes. So that's about four goals a game. Uh, that the Kraken score when Martin Jones is in net. And that's on average. Yeah. That's the average game. That's So, you know, often it could be much higher. Yeah, that would be pretty hard to have. Uh, it'd be pretty hard not to have a ton of wins pile up when you're getting that kind of support. Yeah, no, that basically means on average, you can allow three goals, which is going to be more than you'd like to and win yeah. the game still uh, most nights. So I, I looked at where that ranked within the league. That is second place. Uh, out of all qualified goal, I, I I did minimum ten games because there's yeah. goalies that you know played one game and their team scored seven, um, but I did minimum ten games. That ranks second out of sixty five qualified goalies in the NHL. Yeah. Now Philip Grubauer, on the other hand, two point four two goals of goal support per game. So you've got to you've got to allow basically two or less. Mm-hmm. which is, you know, can be pretty hard to do and, and a far cry from the four goals of goals apart from Martin Jones. So as for where that ranks, that ranks 58th out of 65 NHL goalies this season. Um, I just, it's so stark. Why do you think this is happening, Dylan? I have no idea. Like it, it doesn't make any sense. I can't imagine that the team, you know what I mean? Like that the team really, um, because I've seen people like kind of talk about this before and they've brought up the idea of like, you know, maybe Philip Grubauer isn't like nice to the defense or nice to the guys in <laughs> front of him. He throws them under the bus or something. And I don't, I don't think so. I don't remember ever Philip Grubauer doing something like that. I, d- I doubt, you know, Martin Jones is out there buying them all like Rolexes after every game, either <laughs> winning over all their support. Like I honestly think they're both, they both seem like really just solid teammate guys. I, I don't think that there's anything going on uh, suspicious there. It's it's just it's really odd to me. And again, some of this gets thrown because the Kraken, you know, Grubauer was hurt kind of through some of some of that stretch when the Kraken were just playing lights out. But at some point you have to you do have to ask that question. And I I just have zero theory as to what it could be like because it doesn't make sense. This is the same group in front of them. It's not like, oh, you know, some forward has been out and that's kind of messed with it. Like this is the same exact group of guys normally I would say like if this was somebody else who was more well known for it, I'd say, well, maybe, you know, one goaltender is a much better player of the puck. So the defense can stay up more and maybe he can help them break out of the zone with a long stretch pass or something like that. But it's not like Martin Jones is known for puck handling, you know what I mean? Where he can, yeah. Where he could like go and help them contribute offensively or allow the defense to change what they're doing. So I, I just, I have no idea. I still have to go with the coincidence coincidence answer as as unsatisfying as that might feel because I mean just look at the numbers how can that be a coincidence? Um, but you've gotten the crack and watching all the games, 
mm-hmm. you can tell when they're when they're playing their game when they're on their game and when they're not and it kind of had this cycle of they were on this really great run where everything was going right and yep. then maybe they got a little bit complacent got a little bit lazy right. thought that they could you know play a certain way and it ended up not working and it happened to coincide right then with when Grubauer came back from injury Right. And Jones was starting to get burned, burned out, out, too, because yeah. Jones caught a few of those games as well. Right. Um, and then, you know, then Grubauer's there. And then with this win streak, you have Martin Jones in net. Just you, you catch the last bad game, the, the worst game against Edmonton, where Grubauer gets the start. Everyone plays terribly. Yes. And and, you know, and they play terribly in front of Jones. They keep allowing goals in front of Jones. But then the next game, like, OK, well. Martin Jones has to start, right? right. You know, you, you can't you can't start Grubauer. And then the the effect of being embarrassed kicks in and they go on this run and they just keep winning. And and I think the way that they've been playing, you put Grubauer in that, they win these games too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine that it's any different. It's I mean, you look at their save percentages, uh, Martin Jones slightly better, 891 versus 881 for Grubauer. I mean, those are both bad save percentages. It's not like one of these guys is dramatically outplaying the other. Those are just both bad. They have the same amount, you know, basically right in line with each other as far as quality start percentage. You know, about half the time they give you a quality start. Like again, it's not you know, there's you could ar- you could make the argument really with both of them that both of them need to be playing better. Um, yes. It's just that Martin Jones has been getting the cover of having basically four goals a game scored in front of him. It's crazy. Yep. It is. I like when we when we picked out this segment to talk about this. I, I was trying to think of like a you know definitive takeaway here or something we could kind of close it out with. I, I still don't understand. Yeah. No. The takeaway is just that yes, one goaltender is getting. I mean, almost twice as many goals scored in front of him as the other. So, yeah, of course, he's going to find more wins uh, than the other guy. Like, it would just be hard not to. And it's it's the kind of thing, too, where if you, you know, ask the players, if you honest, if you got an honest answer from the players, I think sometimes in situations they might play differently in front of a goalie. But generally, that's defensively. Right. Like, okay, we think he's going to stop these kind of shots. We can keep things to the outside. All of that. That has nothing to do with how many goals you're going to score. No. <laughs> like, yeah, this guy in net, like, you know, we, we you know, maybe are a little, feel a little shakier about him. We're going to just go and try and score more goals. Like, that doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. You're always trying to score goals. Right. And it's not like, you know, having Martin Jones, it's not like he's drawing penalties and giving the Kraken more power play opportunities and they're taking advantage of that or something like there's there's nothing to it that makes any sense whatsoever other than yeah you know at the end of the day I guess we're just talking about small sample sizes of 28 game you know 25 starts for Jones 12 for Grubauer you know if we you know if if they both played 100 starts each do we see those numbers kind of start to come more in line with each other I don't know but it I've I don't remember ever seeing such a stark contrast on the same team like that before. Like ever. Yeah. I I, I don't either. Um and there's there's one thing I'm I'm trying to look this up that I remember was about how at five on five, like mm-hmm. Grubauer's numbers are actually you know better, but but Jones on the PK does a lot better, and I'm trying to see if I can find this on Money Punk. Okay, I can't find it. But anyway, yeah, just I, something to consider. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw I saw the same thing, and that that is interesting, especially with the Kraken's overall 
um, issues on, say, the penalty kill. Like maybe mm-hmm. that maybe that helps out. But again, that doesn't explain the the goal support. Goal support. Like, no, it doesn't. Because at the end of the doesn't... day, the goal support is the thing that's determining these games. Uh, it's not the goaltending when both guys' save percentage is below 900. <laughs> like it's, yeah. The goaltending's just, you know, not great no matter what there. So um, it is a it is a very, very strange situation for the, that the Kraken find themselves in uh, with both of these goaltenders. And like I said, the only thing I could think of to, to try to come to some conclusion is just to have, have the sample size get larger and we can check back in later on in the season. But for now... Martin Jones is, you know, just benefiting from the Kraken happening to play better uh, during the stretches where he finds himself in position to be in net. And uh, yeah, I mean, I understand it. If you're Hackstall, you're not going to change anything. Yeah. No, why would teams averaging four goals a game and you're winning all these games? You're not going to change the goaltender just to try to, you know, make it look more fair for the guys. Like that's, that's not, you can't coach a team like that. So it's just, it's such a, it's such a weird, interesting situation that they have going on there. Uh, I'm glad we got to talk about it though. Uh, The other weird and strange situation that we find the Kraken have RJ is the fact that they win all these games on the road. That they just they're they're absolutely crushing it on the road. I'm I'm pulling up their their um their records uh home and a road here at home they're ten eight and two so slightly better than five hundred, but on the road they are twelve four and two, so significantly above five hundred. I mean they're just absolutely crushing it on the road. We're seeing this in real time right now as they're on this road trip and they're just dominating. Um, I want to know why that is. And so I have a couple theories. Okay. Okay. And I'm going to build up to the one that, you know, I think we'll probably all agree. It probably is at in the end, but I have some theories that I want to get out of the way first, such as, do you think that this is other teams not knowing how to match up, you know, play matchups against the Seattle Kraken because of how Hackstall uses all the lines about the same? And the depth that they have, like, I know we've talked about the depth insofar as like, if you've got, you know, three second lines and then a third line, you're winning that, you're winning that matchup battle at least half the time, if not a little bit more. Um, I, do, do you think that it's just teams don't know how to deal with the, with the line matchups because you're not, you're not seeing like one line put out there anymore. It's not like Maddie Beniers is being thrown out there to play 20 minutes or something. So it's hard for, for opposing coaches at home to try to figure out how to manage their own guys' minutes when you're just kind of seeing this constant rotation on the other side. I do think uh, there there might be something to that. With uh, We do know with, that deep teams like this are really hard to match up against because you can't take advantage uh, of having that last change at home and getting the matchups you want as much when any given line that you go out against, it could, could hem your own line into the mm-hmm. zone. We saw this uh, in Toronto. I remember there were a couple of great shifts where uh crack and fourth line was out there. Leafs coach Sheldon Keefe is like, all right, let's get, uh, let's get Marner Matthews. And, and I believe it was yarn croak with them out there and, and let's really put the pressure on. And uh, you know, uh, maybe he did watch the tape. Maybe he didn't, but <laughs> he didn't seem to know that the, the Kraken's fourth line uh, could actually, you know, keep them pinned in the Toronto zone uh, for a long time during those shifts. And uh, it's it's a hard problem to tackle. Uh, and maybe there is something to that. I mean, the reason I think that might not be the case, though, is that generally coaches don't play these hard line, line matchups very often in the regular season. It's not something that they tend to do. And if you ask coaches about it uh, during the regular season, they'll be like, well, you know, we don't 
you know, maybe in a, in a certain situation, we'll, we'll try and get the right line out there, but overall they don't stick to it very much. Yeah. And that's really what the numbers have been pointing out. Like it's been something I've been keeping my eye on through this road trip, uh, was just trying to see if opposing teams were ending up with say a star player, not playing as many minutes as you'd think they would just because of maybe them trying to match up. And I haven't really noticed anything out of the ordinary for for other teams but I could certainly see it being at least a psychological issue that coaches have to go through on the other side as they go through it the other thing that we've talked about just a little bit RJ but I want to talk about it more now is just when you're on the road you tend to be playing every other day right they tend not to put the these teams the NHL doesn't put these teams in situations where you're going to be on road trips and have multiple days off in between while you're on the road just because they know you don't have your practice facility you know guys are having to stay in a hotel like it just doesn't really make sense and so it's really easy when you're playing every other day and it's and it's all fairly regular to to fi- to just find yourself getting into the rhythm of that and being able to have things be you know if you're if you're anybody built around routine which a lot of professional athletes are people who thrive on routine that's partly why they get to the level that they get to because that's that's what your job is is you know you wake up you work out you go practice all that kind of stuff every day is just this is a team where all these guys thrive on routine and being on the road lends itself better to having routines than being at home it does and if you ask the players uh, they like getting in those routines. We talked to Jordan Everly about it after coming back from that longer holiday break and, and talking about the road trip coming up. And and he said that he was, you know, kind of happy they were going to get into that routine of playing again. And it bears itself out in the numbers, although it is a limited sample size. When the Kraken have had a break longer than three days, they've lost the first game coming back every single time in, in franchise history. I think there were four times that that's happened. Um, and so it does seem to affect the Kraken maybe more than other teams. Uh, but this is a team that likes to get into a rhythm. And and so I, I could see that being part of it. Yeah. And so that begs the question, RJ, how do you make at home more routine based? How do you make it feel like a road trip? I mean, are we saying that the solution for the Kraken at home is for everybody to start living in hotel rooms away from their family and they have to get up at X time every day? Maybe they have a curfew. Maybe they got to share some rooms together. Right. And uh, we just try to recreate this whole road trip trip vibe just through the whole season. Teams have done that in the past. I, I, I've seen that. I forget. Maybe, I don't know if it was hockey or another team, but they're they're like when they've done so well on the road, I've seen that where they've just like, we're going to do the road thing at home just for a little bit. Usually like in the playoffs, I, I, I'm trying to remember the specific instance I remember that from. But uh, maybe if things get drastic enough, it's something you go to. But I say let the players see their families for, <laughs> for now. Uh, yeah, no, it might be a little extreme, but it is it is something to consider. And yeah, maybe maybe if the Kraken do find themselves in the playoffs, maybe that is something you gotta 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 consider if if that's the way your team has been playing all season long, uh, and you can kind of rely on that. And then finally, RJ, I think this is probably the solution. It's it kind of kind of factors in the last thing we talked about of the routine. Okay, one of those routines we know for the Kraken on these road trips, a surprisingly large number of individuals involved do, is play Mario like Kart. Yes, I like where you're going with this. I'm guessing you know they all play Mario Kart on the plane after the games. They're traveling around. It's nice in the hotel rooms. You can all link up, play Mario Karts on all your Switch. 
probably not doing that at home when guys are spending times with their families. You know what I mean? It's not going to be as easy to find time to be like, Hey, sorry. I, I know, I know I haven't seen you, you know, you kids in a couple days, but I've got to go play this Mario Kart tournament because otherwise, <laughs> you know, I'm just not going to perform well. And it's a, that's gotta be a tough sell to, to, you know, you know, families. Um, but I, I do think that there is something to the, the kind of cool down and I've, I've been practicing Mario Kart since I got it for Christmas it's very, it's very, you know, routine rhythm based. You find yourself getting into a certain headspace and zone where you're, you're working and you're thinking, but it's, it's in a more relaxed kind of way. And it does help you unwind a lot. I'm wondering if they're just not playing enough video games when they're at home. I love this theory. And, and the one that I came up with, cause we were talking about, you know, why are they better on the road? And it was pretty similar to this, just that they, they're not having enough fun at home. And this was part of it. I felt like as as someone who goes to basically everything the team does at home, I felt like all the most fun stuff this season has been all the teams on the road. And I'm like, ah, oh, why am I not there to cover that? Whether it's the Mario Kart thing, whether it's Veneers wearing the Canada jersey and that fun little bet, it all seemed to happen on the road this season. Uh, and maybe there's something to that. But I really like the Mario Kart zeroing in on that part of it uh, because what better to kind of get that competitive juices flowing, but also in a way where you're focused and you're thinking, this is the focus that Dave Haxtell talks about yes. the team needing <laughs> defensively. Right. Um, and, and they've been playing that focused hockey a lot more on the road. Maybe Mario Kart is the reason. It's the only thing that it can be. Cause the, you know, I wouldn't have said this originally if, if we didn't get so many details from Morgan Geeky about how many guys are involved in this, right? And that it's yeah. now like bleeding over into the media that does travel with them and stuff. And so that's the thing that that kind of makes me go like, huh, maybe there's maybe there is something here that that we're not paying close enough attention to because I, I don't know. I just think that there's there is something to that. I'm trying to look at now with say a Maddie Beneers home and road split. And yeah, on the road, oh. Maddie Beneers, uh, 18 games, 10 goals, 19 points on the road. At home, 20 games, only four goals and 11 points, right? Like you got these guys, they are performing better on the road. And I think that's because Maddie Beneers comes back to Seattle. All these guys spend time, you know, wives and kids. Maddie Beneers, he's, he's just stuck playing Mario Kart by himself. Mm. That's what you it is. You know what? <laughs> wow i mean well that that is something to think about what other podcast would give you that explanation for for the home road split for the kraken i don't know let's let's try one other player give me a, uh, any other player on the kraken roster that we think plays mario kart rj let's see their splits home and road well we know borgen does he likes uh he likes the um yeah but he might be the only person playing park. with maddie at home so we can't oh, okay so, can't somebody who would not be playing all right let's see who's got a family Dude, <laughs> got... i think we know I think we know that Carson Soucy plays. He was one of the ones that Geeky mentioned, right? I'm uh, trying to think of a forward because it's easier to just get like point production. Right. So, I mean, Who, we could go Morgan Geeky himself, I guess. Yeah. Although I feel like I feel like he'd be playing a lot at home. I don't know. Yeah, he's he's it's seven. You've got to be always up on your games. skills. You you can't yeah. be lagging at any point to be as good as Geeky is. No. Were there, were there any other forwards that were mentioned? I don't know. I remember Adam Larson being a sore loser. And look, Adam Larson on the road, 11 points in 18 games, at home only 6 points in 20 games. It's a Mario Kart effect. <laughs> there you go. What what more do you need? Yeah. So here's the here's the deal, RJ. It, uh, as, as well as getting Mario Kart for Christmas, I also got a, uh, a, a season pass to Universal Studios Hollywood down here. 
All right. And oh, their nice. big their big thing is I know I haven't been since I was like eight. It was awesome. Uh, I went yesterday, actually. Uh, and, and one of the, <laughs> the, the big things and part of why I got the pass was because they're they're bringing uh, Super Mario World to, to Universal Studios. They've had one over in Japan for a couple of years. It's coming in uh, February 17th. It opens up really excited for it. And when I was there yesterday looking at all the merchandise, a lot of Mario Kart merch. And so what I'm thinking is maybe before I come up at the end of this week, I go back buy up a bunch of Mario Kart merch and then give it out to all the members of the Seattle Kraken so that they can wear it, you know, at home while they're working out all that stuff and, and try to see if some of that can seep in and, and kind of get them, them to that same level of focus. There you go. Cause I, I was kind of getting at that is like you're coming up right as the team is coming back from the road trip. So I think you need to be the one to kind of push this permanent Mario Kart thing for everyone. I know you've been playing too. Yeah. I don't know. See, see if you can beat them in some games, get them extra motivated that they got to play more while they're at home practice so they can beat you. I was going to say, we, we, we still have no idea how Dave Hackstall really feels about me. Uh, even though I've done my best to try to stick up for him in, in any situation that I can, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what his reaction is if I just walk in uh, day one after the team gets back with my switch in hand, and I just go forget about everything, everybody. I've talked all the other media into letting us just all hang out, and we're just gonna play Mario Kart before this game against the Lightning. And we're gonna see what happens. Think Hackstall let me do that? Hey, you know what? The one o'clock start time schedule throws everyone off enough already. Like you, at that point, you're like, all right, whatever. You're not going to have a morning skate before a one o'clock game. No, like, you're not. You're not going to do that, but you could get everybody together to play a little Mario Kart. Yep. No morning skate, but a morning Mario Kart tournament. So there you go. Dave, if you're listening, I'm sure you are. Uh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> or someone who knows Dave Hackstall, just, you know, go ahead. Try to try to plant that seed and we'll, we'll see what we can make happen. <laughs> Oh, good, good stuff. But that's a, it's a good segue just to come back around and remind everybody that uh, I am going to be coming up there. I'm super excited. We're, this road trip that they are on and that they are crushing it on and that I'm sure they'll continue to crush it on because they're all playing Mario Kart. Um, we'll conclude with that Chicago game on Saturday, next Saturday, the 14th, uh, where we will all be at Queen Anne Beer Hall watching that game together, having the post game live together. It's going to be a lot of fun. The post game live, we are going to you know, try to stream it out to everybody as well. So if you can't make it in person for the post game, it should be uh, on stream as normal, working out how um, we're going to be, you know, deal with the feeling of questions in person versus also getting some questions and comments from the live chat as well. Um, I, I have a couple ideas in mind for how we're going to do it. It might just be a trial and error thing the day of though. So <laughs> bear with us if that's the way it goes. Um, but I, I think we're all going to be excited nonetheless about it. And then, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see if um, what, what happens with, with that game and then them coming back home should be, should be interesting. Oh Yeah. For sure. And looking forward to it. Looking forward to you coming up here and looking forward to seeing everybody at Queen Anne Beer Hall. I'm looking forward to just having nonstop rain for a while just to bring the podcast around full circle. There you go. I gave I, I, I mentioned uh, water falling from the sky one whole time more than my quota. That's how good I am. <laughs> <laughs> overachieving as always Dylan. absolutely all right everybody thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the deep dive we will see you all next time hey everyone before we go we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emerald city hockey especially our terror of the deep patrons absurdly sane alex austin brian coop daryl duthin eli Gaby, Gary, Harry Legionary, Jay, Joey, 
Joni, Joshua, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Maya, Michelle, Paige, Paul, Rebecca, Scott, Sean, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Tank Commander Ty, Tyler, and Wendy. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support.